Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast. I'm Steve Smith, your host, and I'm so excited to be bringing to you yet again another segment of Australian Turf Analysis Keeper of the Greens. And might I just say, this could well be one of the most exciting interviews that I've been able to bring to you, and one of the most intriguing. Without further ado, this is episode number 41. Now, before we get into Keeper of the Greens, I have a message from my partners. Keeper of the Greens is brought to you by Australian Turf Analysis. As a greenkeeper, as a golf course superintendent, have you ever wanted the ability to see into the future of your turf's health and easily share it with stakeholders and team members? I know it would have made my life so much easier when I was super, that's for sure. Australian Turf Analysis has state-of-the-art drone technology that can see into your turf's future health with a flight over your course to show you just what is happening before it's visible to the trained eye of a greenkeeper. Now, you're probably wondering how they can show you the health of your turf. Well, their drone has a multi-spectral lens attached to it along with super-intelligent software that measures and calculates turf stress and correlates the data for you in an easy-to-read graphic map along with other formats available. When we think new technology, we often think many dollar signs. I know that's the first, probably the first thing that bounces into your head, but I can assure you that once you get a quote from John to survey your course, you will be searching for reasons why you shouldn't use this technology to help you maintain your golf course. It really is that affordable, guys. John Legge at Australian Turf Analysis is your certified and fully insured drone pilot to make sure all those paperwork bases are covered so you don't have to worry no matter where you are in Australia. Now for the good part, for every one of you greenkeepers and superintendents that are listening, for any new first-time customers, Australian Turf Analysis are offering a 10% discount on your first service if you mention this podcast, the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast, where you heard it. Head over now to AustralianTurfAnalysis.com to get in touch with John for a quote. And trust me, you want to go and do it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back once again to Keeper of the Green segment of the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast. I do thank you for joining me. And I've got to say, you are in for a real treat. I'm so pumped about bringing this interview to you. It's been something in the back of my mind for a while. And, you know, we don't know where my next stop is going to be. I don't tell you beforehand. So wherever we stop is just going to be a surprise. And in the country today, we're going straight down to Victoria, into Melbourne, to Sandy Links, the new redesigned Sandy Links Golf Club. And we're chatting with Superintendent Geraldine O'Callaghan. Jerry, how are you going? And thank you for joining the podcast. Oh, thanks very much for having me, Steph. I've uh, been in the dam today, just... Uh... Fixing up the pumps, and uh, so it's been a great day. 34 degrees, and I've got to swim, so it's not bad. Well, a little bit of relief from the temperatures down there in Melbourne, <laughs> which, is, which is one of those random positives from a negative, I suppose, you're going to get from time to time as a greenkeeper. You'll get, get to stick your, stick your hands and head in, in the water maybe if you have to. It's not good in winter where I'm from in the Blue Mountains <laughs> when it's down to minus, you know, minus five or whatever, you just cringe. But uh, good to see from a bad... Not look. That's not a good way to start your day. It, it, it's 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 a start of the week, and you you've got to do that. That's uh, that <laughs> oh, makes I'm, it already I'm, for a long week. Oh, absolutely. But you're used to it here in Melbourne because you know you get those four seasons in a day. So anytime you get to jump at the dam and have a quick swim, and then you know it's, it's like it's like when you're hand watering, you give the green a bit, you give yourself a bit. So 
You do. You've you've got to you've got to be out there taking it all in. So look, thank you again for coming on. I'm really excited to dive into your story, into your greenkeeping history and how you got to where you are today. And, we, and then we're going to talk about the the brand new version of Sandringham Golf Club, Sandy Links, which I'm really excited to bring to everyone as well. But first, if you if you've not listened to it before. If you're listening out there and you don't know, we start off with Steve Super 7, which is a quick fire seven questions. Now, Jerry, I don't know if you've heard this one before, but are you ready to go? They're coming in blind. So I'm ready just to go. Rapid responses. Okay, you ready? Ready to go. Okay, number one, sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. Sunrise. Okay, we like that. Number two, course appearance questions, stripes or no stripes on fairways? No stripes. No stripes. Okay. Well, no stripes down there in Melbourne, which isn't uncommon. Now, number three, preferred look on a golf course, lean or lush? I like the lean look. The lean. It's a, it's a, is it a sand belt thing? I know it's, I've been down there and been fortunate to see it. Is that, a, is that, I don't know if there are courses down there that are, are, are highly watered. That's, that's a real Melbourne sand belt look, isn't it? It it is indeed. I think it's a lynx look. Like I, I've been fortunate enough to travel to Scotland, and um, I just love that whole you know brown that your your turf surfaces and your playing surfaces really stand out. And then you've got the rough, and it just does whatever it wants. So yeah, it's it's a it is a beautiful look. I, I've got to admit. All right, number four, favorite favorite uh, grass types on greens. Favorite putting surface. Bench, oh, I definitely. Coo- I'll, I'll get, well, before before I, you, okay, you've already got this. So I'm not even going to say what the options are. You tell me because you've already got it. Well, what is it? De- definitely bent grass for me. All right, that's good. I, I was hoping you were going to say that. <laughs> we'll go there first. <laughs> oh, oh, good. I love the enthusiasm. This is exciting. Number five, where do you prefer to maintain a golf course? Cool climate or warm climate? Oh, that's a good question. They both have their advantages and disadvantages, but I like the challenge of climate. Cool climate. Very good. Very good. Yes. Number six, favourite bunker style, St Andrews, Kingston Heath or Augusta National? Kingston Heath, definitely. (laughs) I think that's a common theme. And number seven, to finish off, if you could visit one golf course anywhere on the planet tomorrow, which one would it be for you, Jerry? Oh, these are cracking questions. I love it. I think it'd have to be Augusta National. And I love that answer. And I often get, this is really strange, and we talk about one thing's taste and one thing sort of an overall sort of uh, appearance of a course and how it's maintained, certainly from a superintendent's greenkeeping perspective. We get, I'm talking to Australian supers and they nearly, there's there's an, for Kingston Heath I've found, styles but a lot of people are saying they would love to visit augusta and i really find that interesting when they skip it with the bunker style so i don't know why the reason is there i i would love to see augusta but I, i've got other ones that i think i put in front of it there you go yeah well the, the only reason i'd love to go and see augusta is you don't i don't think you appreciate the golf course on the tv because it was it would be undulating so much different in real life to what it actually looks on the tv so that's just my perception and and I agree with you there because they, they often talk about how incredibly steep some of like down the, the 10th fairway, for example, when you see the balls just run and run and run and run and run, that there's exactly. such a steep hill downhill to other areas of the golf course. And then, of course, for the other side from a greenkeeping point of view, I, I like that the, there's a bit of that tech side of things and they've got that sub air system and the, 
you know, these heating platforms and it's just, that's a whole different ballgame. Absolutely. It's all this stuff that's out of this world and you just think, what the heck is going on under the ground? So <laughs> Hard to get your head around. But look, thank you so much for doing the, the Steve Super 7 questions. That's a bit of fun, Jerry. So look, uh, I appreciate it. And uh, let now look, we move from the fun. Now we're going to go into a bit of Jerry. How much do you like telling us, have, I don't know, how many people you've told your story? This is, I'm really intrigued. I'm really intrigued because, uh, look, there's, there's no point glossing over it. You're one of very few superintendents of golf courses in Australia that's female. I, I, don't, I don't know if you know. I'm sure you probably do know of others. That, how, do you know how many others there are? Do you know if there are any? I believe there's maybe four of us. So there's okay. not many at all. Could be some sort of alumni there, maybe. Could you? Do you I don't know. I have to get We're, some sort of club happening. So <laughs> why not? But it's something that's it's very one sided. We we know that it's male dominated industry. And let's just dive into your background. Let's find out how you came to be at Sandy Links today. So was well, how did let's start? How did you get into greenkeeping? Because already you're in a very very small minority. So how did it happen for you, Jerry? Well, it happened, um, I've been at, well, Sandy Links, but also at Royal Melbourne now for nearly 10 years. And um, I started a bit later in life. I'm, I'm 44 years old now. I don't mind telling people that. And, well, that, um, that's different. You know, most, most women will never tell, don't like telling uh, us much. No, that's all good. That, 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 that probably makes me different as well. But, um, yeah, I, I, um, I grew up in the country, uh, back up in Kahuna in the northern country on the Murray River and, uh, grew up on a farm, so I just loved being in the outdoors and, and that whole agriculture life and things like that. And then, then I had, had a few, um, you know, different things happen to me in life and I lost both my parents. So I went off travelling and did a bit of soul searching for about six years on and off. And it was in my late 20s when I arrived back in Melbourne and I thought, oh, I've got to get a real job and, you know, need to sort of get responsible in life. And, um, yeah, I've, I've always loved golf. That was one thing for me when I was a kid. I learned how to play golf, up, obviously, up in the country and, and yeah, it's always been, and I'm, I'm a pretty competitive person just in general and love, and love sport in general, love the AFL, you know, love um, water sports, all that sort of stuff. So I'm a pretty, pretty easygoing person, but um, sometimes get a little bit of that white line fever, but that's another story. And um, yeah, so I, I, my sister was living in Geelong at the time and I, I moved down there and um, yeah, a friend of mine said to me, oh, the, I know a guy out at uh, Sandhurst Golf Club out um, towards Frankston North there and he said, oh, look, you know, take your resume and I'll, I'll give him a call and tell him you're coming and just have a chat and see if they've got any vacancies. And I said, oh, that'd be great, you know, and never really thought about doing greenkeeping. I, um, you know, I love gardening and I love just being outdoors and all that. So it was probably something I probably could have done earlier in life. But, you know, things happen for reasons. And, um, yeah, I, I ended up going out to have a to have a coffee with uh, Mark Brayshaw uh, was the PGA, in the PGA at the time. And, um, he said, oh, you know, like we were just chatting away and he, in, it just so happened that his wife, uh, I worked at a, at a summer camp in America and uh, as a camp counsellor and um, his wife actually worked there as well. And so that was my first connection with him um, other than my friend knowing him. And um, it sort of just blossomed from there. We got along really well. And he said, look, I'll give your resume to Peter Jans, who was a superintendent at the time at Sandhurst. And yeah, about a week later, I got a call and said, look, you know, come and do a trial and, um, you know, we'll see how you go. And, and I just said, you know, look, I'm willing to try anything and give anything a go. And, and I love, just love golf. And 
we'll see what happens. And um, yeah, did a, did a week's trial out there and absolutely loved it. And actually, at the time, there was three other girls working there, so it was four of us in total when I started working there, which again was you know relatively a new thing to me because I knew it was a male dominated industry. So yeah, went um, got a got a just a greenkeeping job at Sandhurst and and uh, went on and did my adult apprenticeship at. Uh, at the time, it was called um, Northern Melbourne Institute of Technology up there at uh, Fairfield, which is now Melbourne Polytechnic, and um, just loved it. Did did the night school and learnt, you know, learnt sort of all the the other things uh, other than the practical side of greenkeeping, and and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I've always been uh, very interested in um, you know how things work, and not not just motors and things like that, but you know the the dynamics of a golf course and the maintenance and and all that sort of thing. So yeah, it, it all pretty much started. Um, yeah must be about 16 years ago now, 14, 16 years ago out there at Sandhurst and, yeah, spent uh, about five and a half years out there and they they just started maintaining the Champions course because there's 36 holes uh, at the Sandhurst facility and they had the North course, which was fairly established and they'd, they'd built uh, the Champions course. And so I went straight on to that maintenance team, which was fantastic, a great great group of guys, all of which I'm still friends with today and, and that's the other side of the greenkeeping industry. It's very small and... And you do, you have mates for life. So, um, well, that, yeah, that's, I'll, I'll... that's something that I often do talk about is that sense of um, camaraderie. You're part of a team, especially doing your apprenticeship there. You, like you said, it was a mature age gig for you to get all that training and, and education under your belt. Um, and you mentioned there were three other females in the team. Was that... Do you think that was helpful for you not being the only female on the team? I don't know what that's like. I, I suppose I'm trying to understand, uh, you know, your journey in this way and, and hopefully others will, will be keen to, to understand how you came through that. Do you, did you think that was a little bit helpful as well, having other women in the, the greenkeeping team? I, I think it definitely was. You know, it made the transition a lot easier into that, you know, then it's still physical work today. Into that physical work style, and um, and and I and even to this day, you know, like a lot of people you work with, sometimes they they don't play golf. They're very sports orientated, and and at the time, like you know, these the girls they'd play golf every now and then. But I brought to the table, I think, my experience and my knowledge of the game, and I taught them so much about golf, and they taught what they taught me about greenkeeping. So it was very much a, I guess, a double edged sword that I can teach a lot of people about you know, the golf side of things and then they could teach me about the greenkeeping and, and I've always found that a great advantage, I think, uh, for myself because, you know, I could stand there and all day and talk about grass now but I could also talk about courses I've visited or things that I've done with my golfing career as well and, you know, I think to amalgamate those two things and, and be able to do what I love and, and, and have a passion for what I love doing, it's certainly not a job, so. Uh, that's that's very good to hear that. You know, like you said, you can bring that golf side of it to the table and, and not everyone, as, as I've learned through this and, and my audience have obviously heard through talking to different Zubas, there's there's a lot of people that get into greenkeeping not from golf, which which probably I got in through golf You in a, in a, with a background of golf as well was sort of part of your interest. But there are plenty of people that don't come from golf side of things that they they might just have the opportunity for work or whatever it is and they don't. Um, have that sort of that sporting competitive side of the background. I know I do, and yeah. uh, and I, I think that adds an element of fun. But my assistant when I was at Katoomba, who's one of my best mates, is not a golfer in the slightest. Yep. And we went on to do our time at um, building Katoomba up as a team, and and he's he'll play once a year, maybe at best, 
not interested, doesn't really care for it, but enjoys a hit every now and then. So like you say, you've got that, you can bring that to the team and it's really good to hear that side too because I love hearing a background of golf because I just I just love it. It's, it's everything that I know and I totally enjoy as well. So your time at, at Sandhurst, it's, your time at Sandhurst was, how long were you there doing your training education as a mature, I suppose, apprentice? Is that a, a normal time frame? Is it like three or four years or is it accelerated? Uh, it's accelerated. So it's night school for 12 months. Um, and I, I was lucky enough, there was another guy that was a mature age. And so we actually traveled up and down because Sandhurst is about, it's about a 40 minute drive from the um, the teaching facility. So like, you know, we'd, we'd get in the car every Monday night and head up there. So it was great to have a, a study buddy, as I used to say, and we'd go up <laughs> there and, and um, it was, you know, like late afternoons you'd go. And, and I found, I, I did my uh, yeah adult apprenticeship, which I said, just said was 12 months. And then while I was still studying, you know, when you get a bit older and you get out of that whole study technique, I thought, no, I'll keep going. And I did my diploma, which then was another three years. Um, but in that, yeah, right. in that 12... That 12-month adult apprenticeship, you know, yeah, I really found that, uh, you know, you had people that wanted to learn, you know, not taking anything away about the young fellas that go to the TAFE and that these days. But, you know, everyone was there. So, yeah, it was quite – because it was quite an accelerated program, you know, you were there to learn. So you spent, you know, the three or four hours at that night school and you learnt so much and we jam-packed so much in. And, and I think everyone – you'd come, you'd go there and you know, it's, it's, I guess it's like every time you go to a – turf conference or something you know the, everyone would be spraying a different product one week and oh we got these results oh we sprayed it last week and we did this and so you know it was such a collaboration I think and we had you know a guy from a, a horse racing background we had some guys from bowling greens and they all weren't golf courses so I found that fascinating as well because there's so many surfaces that are under the umbrella of turf recreation you don't actually realize that either until you start studying so for me, it was a great, um, I think, insider to just, you know, understand how many different uh, types of grass there was and how many different surfaces, you know. Horse racing, they've got to have cushioning, whereas golf greens, you want them hard and fast, some people. And so it's all it's all that sort of learning, I think, that really made, I guess, my hunger even more um, to become a greenkeeper. I like that explanation too because this is a golf podcast and we often talk about that this is, you know, based around golf courses and greenkeepers on golf. But as I've spoken to people and I can talk about Dave Rogers from Bathurst Golf Club, who I, I spoke to as part of this segment a little while ago, he, you know, bounced in and out of different golf courses and, and there were others that um, have bounced in, you know, Paul McLean from Sanctuary Cove went to bowls and, and different other places. And you can you can go to different types of sports turf as well Correct. and uh which is really interesting and i think these are good selling points for people who are considering whether sports turf and greenkeeping is something to get into and it's why i love talking about it as a job opportunity as a lifestyle opportunity because you can travel the country and the world getting work in all sorts of different places but also all sorts of different sports turf industries be it football or you know horse racing like you say or golf or bowls there's so many different opportunities and it it's quite broad and and uh, interesting hearing you talk about the different types of, of uh, services and that the others that you were studying with were part of. So really, uh, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, it was fascinating, as I said. And even you know today uh, at Royal Melbourne, we actually have a young guy who's a state-level baseball player. And so, you know, you think about – you don't even think about a baseball field. You know, it's got no. turf on it. So, you know, <laughs> it, right. every, everyone has an interest and, and the interest can be that one core is – the grass that you play on. So yep. I, I think it's I think it's fascinating and and you know like you you've probably said many times in your podcast and and we'll say again probably in this podcast 
everybody knows everybody. So it's all about you carrying yourself well and you get a job at St Andrews maybe at the 150th year this year for that three months because yeah. you want, you're passionate about what you do and you can travel the world. You're absolutely right. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so tell us more. After Sandhurst, or how long did you did you stay at Sandhurst for, and then where did you go from there? I was a bit. I was at Sandhurst for about five years, and so um, I had a senior role. I didn't have any titles or that, but you know, I was one of, one of the senior people there when I uh, decided to leave. And I actually saw an advert advert in the um, on the uh, uh, greenkeeping side, and it was for assistant superintendent at Sandringham Golf Links. And at the time, it was. Um, early 2011, so the my first President's Cup, it was Royal Melbourne's um, second President's Cup at that point, and I thought, oh, and, and I knew, I'd heard whispers that Royal Melbourne were uh, leasing Sandringham and everything like this, and it was, you know, going to be maybe somewhere to be in the future. And, of course, all I really wanted to do was get an interview and meet Richard Forsyth, the guru, uh, <laughs> Mr. Mr., Mr. Royal Melbourne now. And, um, yeah, one of, the, one of those things, oh, we call him the chief, but, you know, it, it's all good, so... Yeah, one of those things, I just put my application in and thought, oh, if I get an interview, fantastic. If I don't, you know, I'll just keep working hard and, 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 and keep sort of putting, you know, the, the miles on the road. So anyway, I ended up with an interview and I'll never forget the day. It was in the old, what's now the old Sandringham. Um, it's the cart shed now for the new carts. But we sat down on the couch and Andrew Wells was the superintendent at the time and then Richard sort of swanned in towards the end. And I'd, uh, when I was when I was working out at Sandhurst, the um, we were doing a lot of irrigation, and, and the irrigation contractor said, "Right, if you get an interview with Richard, you've got to tell him that you're Barrack for Essendon, the, the mighty bombers, because he barracks for Essendon, <laughs> which which I happen to anyway. That's my football team. So um, there you go. So yeah, so, somewhere in the interview, it got it got brought up that I just love sport in general. So oh, who do you barrack for? And rah rah rah, and and so goes the story that that's why I got the job. But I say it was my. <laughs> It was the charisma sitting on the couch having a chat, you know, all that sort of stuff. And um, so, yeah, ended up ended up receiving the role there as the assistant superintendent. And at the time, there was only three full-time staff. So I went from, you know, a team of two, obviously a 36-hole facility at Sandhurst. We had about 20 to 25 staff. So I went from a quite a big team back to a small team. And, um, you know, the challenges at that time, uh, you know, we didn't have all the resources we have these days uh, from Royal Melbourne. So, you know, you had to fix your own machines and make sure everything was going right. And, you know, it was, it was just such a different environment. And, but I, I actually had the foresight, I think at that time to just see that it, it could be something for the future. And if, if it didn't, I had a, had a assistance role and I thought I'm going to learn as much as I can here. If it means that it's a, a bit of a sideways step in my career or a step up, what, whatever comes my way. And um, so, yeah, I, I was there for just on two years and, um, a guy over here at Royal Melbourne moved on to another course. So an opening came up and Richard said he came over and again, it's all these things you never forget. I was, I was out on the old, we had a tractor with the gangs mowers on the fairway on the back and I was wow. racing, racing around on that. And um, Richard, I saw him coming and I'm, it was usually, Oh shit, what have I done wrong? Or, Oh, he's coming <laughs> to tell me something good. So luckily that day it was something good. I apologize for the swearing. And, <laughs> no, um, no apology required. I love it. <laughs> Let and, it out. Um, yeah, so he comes driving up and he said, oh, I, you know, he said, um, Andrew's moved on and there's now just a, a qualified position opening at Royal Melbourne. Would you like it? And I don't know if I jumped off the tractor or I can't exactly remember, but I said, oh, that'd be fantastic, Richard. I, that, that's just amazing. And tried to keep calm and keep pretty cool. And um, as soon as he drove away, of course, did that whole dancing in the air and stuff. So, 
yeah, the it, fist it, pumping, it, and and then you oh. can just let it out after that. It's like composure, hold, hold composure, and then let's just let's just tell everyone. I'll scream it to the clouds. You know, I've I've got a gig at RM. How good's that? Absolutely, and and you know, and that you, you sort of, I guess, you make decisions in your life, and you take that one big step, and in, in the hope that things pan out for you, and and. Yeah, it did in, in, in that sense and, um, yeah, moved across to Royal and I was out on, on the East Course under the guidance at that time of John Mann and Craig Anthony. They was, that was the super and the assistant out here. And, yeah, again, came from little old Sandy with three and into Royal Melbourne staff and the, and the big team there. And, and it's, um, so, so I'm just, I'm just going to ask you to just – I can sense this story. is fa- I'm just captivated. I haven't, I haven't even had time to think about what I want to ask you. I'm loving the whole trip and the, I'm loving this trajectory of your career. And, and I'm going to ask you a question in the middle of that part of the story. So you, you talked about a big team, two courses at Sandhurst. Then you take the opportunity – in and around, uh, basically, you're, you're encapsulated by the some of the best golf courses in the world, certainly in the country, being based at Sandringham, and you've got RM and Victoria, and they're all around you. And then, yep. you, you, but it's this real because I come from a golf club or a couple of golf clubs and golf courses where they were small teams. I didn't have the opportunity to to get a gig at a, at a large facility with high expectations and and all the things that that go with that. Um, we had small teams and at one point there was two of us looking after 18 holes. It, wow. I, did you find going into Sandringham, did you find that? And then because it's really you you must be the jack of all trades. Really, it's really hands-on in small teams, isn't it? You're, you're the mechanic at times and you're, you're the irrigation tech, you're the greenkeeper, you're the, you're the OH&S manager. You literally, you've got to cover all these things. Did you find it? not only i suppose challenging did you find did you revel in that challenging and was it a grounding of sorts to go and appreciate what you had at sandhurst absolutely and and i mean i always say to people and and i hate you know you hate talking about yourself and that but i'm i'm a very engaging and very approachable person and you're exactly right you need every day you've got a different hat on one day you might be changing holes, the next day you're digging a hole for drainage, or the next day you're digging a hole for irrigation, and you know, or you might be putting coarse furniture together. You'd be, you're a carpenter, you're everything when yeah. you're in a small team. And you know, to go from that to like a big team where you've got a mechanic on hand and all that sort of thing, you know, you do, you just appreciate everything that you've been given. And and even when I first started at Sandringham, you know, like I just said, we had the old gangs mower, and then. We eventually got a fairway mile from Royal Melbourne that was like, gonna, you know, going to go to the trash heap, whatever. And it was just like, oh, my God, it's Christmas. Or when you get, you know, you've got the old sprayer that's just about gone out the window and then you get the secondhand sprayer. So it's all about, I think, juggling that whole what 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 your life experience is, you know. And I, and I always say I brought to the table, you know, 28 years of every other life experience before I was a greenkeeper. And, and you know, you've got to be able to be adaptable and, you know, something pops up. Like today, I was talking to you earlier about our pumps went down, so I had to jump in the dam and go and fix them. So, you know, you've sort of always got to be that one step ahead when you're in a small team and try and, you know, you, you don't want to always be negative and say, oh, this could happen, but you've got to sort of be thinking in the back of your mind that, you know, oh, you might have to stop at lunchtime and tweak the blades on the bar and stuff like that. So it's it's certainly a grounding experience, I think, when you work in a small team or you come from a big team to a small team or vice versa and then you go into another big team and, and, and I love it. I'm a very team-orientated person. So when I first went to San, Sandringham, I knew being connected to Royal Melbourne, you know, we'd do social things with them and that. But 
you know, they're such a small, tight-knit team. They, you know, like I loved it because we all relied on each other. And, yeah, the super had to be out mowing greens or the super had to be out hand-watering. And, and I learned a lot from that as well that, you know, I wanted to be that person too that, you know, if everyone is out on a Friday afternoon, I'm going to be out there with them so we all knock off on time and stuff like that. So Ab- I think... Absolutely. It's, um, I, I find as well as in a small team, you can't be too precious either. It really is, you, you, you've got to be hands on. You can't be above any task. It's about getting the job done. And at the end of the day, and you can call it ego, you can call it what you like, in my opinion, but that's really what drives you needing to deliver or be part of delivering the product for people to play golf. Absolutely. And, and you know, when I first went back in the day, when I first went to Sandringham, totally different environment, obviously. It was a public course. You know, the, the previous owners before Royal Melbourne leased it, wanted it to look green and this and that. So, you know, there's all, always these practices that, you know, if, if you want to have hard, fast greens, you know, you don't fertilise, you don't water, water too much and all these things. So, you know, it was, it was a different environment for me because Sandhurst was a quite linksy, you know, uh, cooch fairways, bent grass greens and stuff like that. And, you know, you come to Sandringham where it was Kaikuya, Poa, you know, common cooch, all this sort of thing. So, again, a- another learning curve for me just to sort of maintain because that's all we could do with three staff was maintain. It was never really any big projects. And and then, of course, now with all the redevelopment and everything, it's been an absolute, you know, fantastic facility. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah. So you've you've had this grounding of sorts at Sandringham and you get the opportunity under Richard Forsyth to be part of the team on the East Course. Tell us how that felt going from then a small team now to a to what is one of the most incredible golf courses, like I said, on the on the planet, and into an an environment that just it it oozes this this incredible aura about Royal Melbourne. I've been fortunate to be there. I've been fortunate to meet Richard and and he's been able to show me around the both golf courses. Tell us what it was like then to get that gig in the team and learn from some of the best and and people like John Mann, uh, they're now superintendents around in the sandbelt. So tell us what that was like for those next few years, I imagine. Oh, just amazing. And, you know, you, you talk about Royal Melbourne that, and, and for me, I think the word is professionalism. And I wanted to be part of that team that just goes above and beyond and does everything to the nth degree. And, you know, just even the way, you know, our lifting of greens programs, all these things that, just fascinated me that you know everyone was on the same page everybody wanted to do the best job they could and and for me being part of a team like that and to learn from people like that you know there was people that have been here for 20 30 years and then there was a lot of people that we had only been here under 10 years and you know so there were so many different levels of experience we had a guy who used to be a super in WA and then he came here and he he was part of the team and you know, you had all these experiences and, and for me, you know, little old me coming from Sandringham and, you know, I'd met most of the guys and stuff and they were all so welcoming. They're like, oh, we can't wait to work with you and all that. And, and of course, because, you know, I was a golfer, we'd all quite often, we'd, a few of us would go out, you know, once a week or once every two weeks and have a few holes after work and stuff. And so they really did include me and they really welcomed me so much. And, and you know, I just got out there every day and I tried to do my best and learn and just keep doing my best. And I think, you know, that's a, it's a bit of a motto for me in life, I guess, is that, you know, I just get in and I have a go and, and I try to do the best. And if I can't do the best, well, then, you know, if the best is not good enough for whoever, then I go, okay, well, that's my best and that's all I can do. And, you know, I think if you just keep trying and, and you just keep doing, like I said before, what you love, um, you know, you end up just 
you know, creating this environment. And, and I, as I said, it's just such a professional culture here and everybody just wants to do their best. And like, it's sort of, I guess it's made me, um, you know, become a better person as well and a better manager now. And, and, and you end up, you know, getting a, a bit more responsibility and things like that. So I think, you know, working under John and Craig and, and also, of course, Richard and, and Paul Thomas on the West, you know, you work under everybody, but obviously you've got your, your two separate teams. And, and I love the East Coast now. I, you know, I always used to call it my baby because um, I'm, fortu- <laughs> I'm, well, I'm, I'm fortunate now after, after I was, um, I think it was about three or four years. Oh, it was about 18 months, I think it was. John Mann, as you just spoke, he moved on and, and I ended up um, getting the foreman's role out on the East Coast under Craig Anthony. And right. so you so I was fortunate enough then, I actually, which I still now, I live on the 14th hole on the East Course. So my dog and I every oh, night. stop it. Yeah, stop it. My, uh, <laughs> my dog, beautiful golden retriever, well, he's the inspector of the East Course. We go and inspect it, you know, every other night. So um, that, that is so unfair. I just, I can't. <laughs> you're you're so not jealous okay. now. I'm going to invite myself down for a barbecue when I'm in Melbourne. Just saying. So when you get a text message, you'll know why. <laughs> I've got a spare room in the Royal Melbourne on Hilton, so, um, you know. Um, but, you know, it, it's one of these things I think, you know, a lot of people say it's all because of hard work. And, and I just say I'm just so privileged that I've had the opportunities of, that I've had. And, um, you know, what, someone once said to me, well, if the door opens, you've got to knock it down. And every time I was given an opportunity, I thought, okay, this has come for a reason. And and, and I've just really taken it by the teeth. And, and you know, I learned so much um, from Craig and just, then, you know, just, just becoming a manager, when you do your diploma uh, studies, of course, you know, part of it is the management. And, and I, I was fascinated by that. I'm, I, as I said earlier, I'm very much a people person and I love to bring people along with me on the journey. And, and now being a superintendent, but also being when I was the foreman on the East course, you know, I was so, you know, I was so overwhelmed by that. I'm changing people's lives by, you know, giving, giving them knowledge and, and, you know, training them and hopefully, um, you know, getting them as enthusiastic as I am about what I do. And, and I think that's a huge part of um, what I love about being a manager is then you see people progress and, and people that you've had even just a small impact on their lives that they'll take away. And, and again, I've always said if, if, if people say, oh, they've worked under Jerry, I will employ them, then that's such a huge honour um, for when you have people go and, and they progress in the industry. Absolutely, and you, you you mentioned there, and it's something that I don't often talk about, but I um I really it stood out to me when my time had finished as my tenure as superintendent and Katoomba disappeared. Sadly, I I look back soon after that, and you reflect on life and things, and you're turning a page in your in your life when something like that happens. And I look back at the time, and I was talking to Chris, my one of my best mates, who was superintendent, and. Uh, who was my assistant superintendent, and, and we talked about the young people and the people that we gave a start to who went on to be greenkeepers at other golf courses or, you know, they took the, the part of that teamwork and what they'd learnt and, and might have taken it to other industries if they moved on. And, and just being part of people's lives and giving people, I just love the, the thought of giving people a start and helping them begin their careers somewhere because we, we went down the path of often employing younger people. And we had yep. that opportunity to do so. And that was, you know, something that we got a real kick out of as well as starting the working careers of um, of young people. It's certainly in the Blue Mountains for us, which is yeah. great. It's a smaller community and it was really good. And like you say, being able to do that, it's it's uh, from a management perspective, is really good. So rewarding. So rewarding. 
Now, let's talk about your steps from the East Course at Royal Melbourne. When did you get over to, how did the, the move transition from Royal Melbourne to Sandy Links? Talk to us about that. So there's always been, you know, the um, foremans rotate, um, you know, every few years around the courses. And we started the development uh, over at uh, Sandy Links. And they the first nine holes, they'd done the grow-in and all, and all the, um, you know, preparation for that. And then the, the second nine grow-in came up and, and, and the shaping and everything. And I'd put my hand up, you know, a few months earlier. I said, look, if there's an opportunity that comes up, because I hadn't been exposed to that sort of side of it at that point. And, so that's um, a construction side we're talking about, that establishment yes. of the golf course and growing it in. Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, and OCM, who were the uh, designers of uh, the new Sandy layout, uh, you know, they, they have a guy that comes in and Nick, and he comes in and he like roughly shapes everything, I guess you'd say. And then, of course, we come in and do the final shapings of where, you know, the fescue will go and where the, where the greens will go and things like that. So I was fascinated by all that, you know, just – and I really, again, it was a bit like, the meeting i just wanted to meet richard i just wanted to drive the big moxie truck because i've seen them and, <laughs> but um you know that, that that all happened eventually but um yeah just just that whole i guess growing something from the ground up and knowing that you know you, you drive past i've shaped that tea or i've helped help shape that bunker and and for me the rewarding experience of also being a greenkeeper is seeing people out playing and experiencing and having fun on what you've you've created so um, I, yeah, I, I put my hand up. I said, look, I'd love to go over there if the opportunity arises. Um, and Richard was very keen on, oh, you know, everyone should get exposed to a bit of the, the construction side. So, yeah, I was very privileged to, to be a part of the second nine uh, construction and growing of the greens. And, and, yeah, just fascinating how pretty much, you know, it's a bare dirt and then you put the irrigation and then you put the seeding down and, and you know, the bunkers take shape. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's just an amazing experience. And, and to be part of it now and... And all along, I was kind of like, oh, this place is going to be amazing. If this is going to be, you know, the centre of the excellence of golf of Australia, it's going to be pumping and it's going to be booming. And I just had this vision of how amazing it was going to be. And, you know, it's come to fruition and the driving range and everything now is, is all in operation. And it's just such a busy place. And I was, I was just blown away. Again, you know, Nick Staff was the construction manager who's now, he's actually now moved over to the East Course uh, superintendent because I obviously got his role and um, but yeah to work under him he's he's an awesome guy and you know just the again you stand on a, a piece of land and you go okay well, we're going to create this and this is where it's going to undulate this is where it's going to mound and this is where the irrigation's going and yeah I, I, I loved it I absolutely loved it, it it's a pretty awesome process to be part of isn't it like you said you you you're giving rise to that you're part of creating something that in hopefully will be there for a long time to come and so many people will enjoy you're basically giving birth to a golf course essentially i was down yeah. i can't remember when it was that i got down there and it might have been 2019 might have even been 2018 that richard had taken some time to show me the first nine that was being constructed and uh and you know i got to learn a little bit about you know the the idea of like you said it was the sort of going to be this home of golf and um, with the uh, the uh, Golf Australia and so on was also going to be there in time. You were there in the, with that second nine redevelopment. And then, so what are we talking? Was it 2019 that you kind of would have been getting involved there? Is that right? Uh, it was actually, uh, what are we now? 2022, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, the end of 20, <laughs> 2020. So I think it was about August okay. 2020, I moved over there. Um, and yeah, and then so they opened the first, 
uh, fully opened the first nine in January 2020. And then, yeah, the construction and everything else was going on. And then, yeah, officially opened um, the second nine in uh, November 2020. So it was a big process. And so, yeah, it's probably been nearly two years that I was at, I've been at Sandringham um, as the foreman and now as the superintendent. So, yeah, so, it's been... so, so sorry to interrupt. Let's let's no. talk about. I'm curious to talk about that feeling, and I often I, I love to ask this question, and it is a question I will ask you as well. What was that feeling like? And tell us when that happened that you got the gig as superintendent. What was it like day one, uh, to walk into Sandy Links as as the superintendent? Because that's a, it's a different feeling in the back of your mind. You know, the buck stops with you at the end of the day. You, you're part of a wonderful team and you're leading a wonderful team, obviously, to to do something incredible and continue to, to get Sandy Links up to where you want it to be and um, and everything that goes with that. What was that day one like walking in and all of a sudden the, the eyes are all on you in a sense and you're leading? Oh, it was an amazing feeling because... You know, like like you just said then, you know, like this is your baby now. And, uh, you know, like I'd work closely with Nick and, you know, sort of all the, the leading up to it. And, and that first day it was like, yeah, you're exactly right. It's like, okay, you need to be thinking about this. You need to be thinking about that. And, and, and with the whole facility, of course, you know, it's not just a golf course. You've got the driving range. You've got, you know, a fantastic putting course. And, and so there's so many dynamics to it and, and you know, for me, it was very much right. I'm going to be on the ball, and I'm going to be thinking about everything, and I'm going to I'm going to delegate. So my um, second in charge, Jack Lavery, he's my foreman over there. I'm like, right, you know, this is this, you're going to be in charge of this area, and I'll still oversee it. But you know, and it's all about that whole delegation and trusting. You, you're exactly right, trusting your team, and and so I'm very very privileged. And and that that first week, I think it was probably the whole first week um, was a bit of a high for me because. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was never. I guess it was never really something that, um, being a woman, I guess you always doubt yourself. And and I was never really thinking superintendent. You know, I just wanted to be the best green keeper keeper I could be. And you know, if that meant that I went on to bigger and better things, fantastic. And you know, I I, I guess for me, it's it's been such a ride and and to land such a, a you know a great position right smack bang in the middle of the sand belt and to have such a great public facility for me, it's just been unbelievable. You know what's funny, and that's just I, l- I love hearing that 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 deep drive within you to be part of that, to be leading that team and be part of something special. And that's what I always hear from superintendents. Doesn't matter what level they're at. Once you hear them speak, like you just did, it, it just shows you when you're standing there listening and you're taking in what you're saying or what what another superintendent's saying. That's when you realise that they they are good enough to do what they do. You have faith. I can stand here talking to you about it and I have faith in you doing what you're there to do at Sandy Links because I can hear it in your voice. I can hear the passion behind it and that drive for leadership. And, and I, I say that I say that with the utmost, you know, 100% honesty um, because that's I've, I've spoken to a, enough superintendents and I know quite a few people in the industry in various, various roles, but you can hear that in someone's voice and you just, Nod your head and you just go, yep, you've got it. You've got yeah. it. And the other thing I wanted to mention is hearing that story of your career coming to this point, and we've, you know, we haven't even spoken about the golf course yet, which I can't wait to talk about either. But <laughs> it's it's something that, that stood in the back of my mind. And, and you just touched on, you know, as a woman, you weren't sure if you were sort of going to go down that path of being superintendent or whatever it might be. 
I think through this whole story, at not any point did I think in the back of my mind that you've sort of had that different path potentially being a female in the greenkeeping industry because I hear people talk about that difficulty potentially of, you know, it's, it's very one-sided, male-dominated. I'm sitting here listening to a greenkeeper work hard, go down the you know path of with passion and do what you do to get to where you are today. And at no point did I go, you know what? I, you know that you've had those struggles or you just you've just gone out there and just done like what you said you've done it the best you can and along yep. that way been offered opportunities and gone but you offered those opportunities I imagine because people believed in you they trusted you and they had confidence in you and that doesn't happen unless you have qualities for that and I, yeah. I, I think all those things stand out just hearing your story it, it's it's you are a, a greenkeeper who stood tall and now you're a superintendent and you've worked your way there. And it's bloody awesome to hear. I, I oh. just think it's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. And I, and I, I quite often, um, you know, think back to my roots coming. I grew up in a very small town of, of about a thousand people and my dad and mum were very hard workers. And I think it was instilled in me as a young age and, you know, that family value and that core value being part of a team and things like that. And everyone looking out for themselves because that's what growing up in a small town is, you know, everyone looks out for each other and, and, and again, you do your best. And, you know, whether it was playing footy, playing netball, playing golf, whatever it was, you always did the – you just went out and did your best because that's what you did in the country. You tried things and, and you know, that's you had to it. go at things. And, and um, yeah, I, I think that's certainly held me in good stead in life. And, and I really appreciate everything you've just said then. And then I like to think that, yeah, people don't just see me as, you know, the woman greenkeeper. They do. And, and I say it a lot because when you are the only woman in a team, you do stand out. For good and bad reasons, but people see me as Jerry, the superintendent at Sandringham, because of where I've come from, and and I think to you know obviously along the way, like you said, you know I've just worked hard, and and I've just always you know maybe never had the end goal in sight, but just thought oh I could get there one day, and 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 just kept progressing along the way. Oh, and and, and I agree. I, I don't think you. Not everyone has that plan and that target goal. There's certainly plenty of people that do, but. I know I sort of, you know, I wanted, I'm speaking about myself in a sense that I wanted to one day, but I didn't know how or where. And, and yeah. I just worked at it and I got there and, and the opportunity arose. So, you know, in a sense, you just did something similar. You worked hard and, and the opportunities were available to you or made available to you, like I said before. And people don't offer them if they don't have confidence in the person they're offering it to. So I think that that in itself says plenty. Um, yes, I want to, I want to, uh, no, not at all. Not at all. I'm sure uh, there's plenty of people that think along similar lines to me. I've got absolutely no doubt. Now I want to get to Sandy Link's golf course. This is something along with your story that I love to talk about in the superintendents and where they, where they work hard at and what, what their passion is that they're looking after. And we know that it's, it was the former Sandringham golf course and it's now been redesigned by OCM. And I think Mike Cocking was the lead in that. And, and you've got this, shiny new toy in a sense without diminishing what it is it's it's a slightly different way to what it was as well it's 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 a lower par than what we often used to seeing it's a par 65 it doesn't have any par fives on it it's you know this is something a little bit different that i think in you know 15 20 years ago people would have thought this is a stupid idea don't go down that path but we're starting to see that it's not it's not a number that we should be focusing on in terms of par. It's not what a place doesn't have. It's what it does have and what it offers, what it offers as a, as a golfer 
and, and something to enjoy. Tell us a little bit about sort of the grass types and a little bit about Sandy Links as a whole. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. Um, yeah, because I obviously was privileged to work in on the old Sandringham site, so I quite often find myself saying, "Oh, that was the old, you know, fifth tee or the fifth green, whatever it might be." But yeah, now with the redevelopment, um, we have the Sutton's mix uh, bent grass on the green, so the exact same green type uh, as Royal Melbourne, and then also the fescue blend surrounds. So you have that nice twenty to thirty meters around the green where you can putt or you can, you know, do your little chip and runs. And so the um, the Public punters love that because they can putt from pretty much anywhere they want from off the green. And so the, the, the fairways are a mix of Kaikuya and the common cooch that was always just in the in the fairways at Sandringham. Um, yeah. And so you talk about the shorter layout and and um, oh sorry and on the some of the tees we had we have nine holes of uh, the tees are cooch common uh, Sandringham cooch tees and then we have nine holes of a rye tea blend. Um, so we went with okay. the cool season grass to something different and, and we're sort of playing around with that um you know i was gonna say is that a bit of a trial and, and see sort of scenario I, i'm a i'm a massive fan of santa Ana from way back i think it's the best versatile grass in the world but uh, there are some situations where it's not quite the best surface is that a trial with those rye blends you know rye fescue blend type thing yeah i, I think initially it was going to be we'll just see you know how they go and and you know personally i think we're going to um eventually lime planted with cooch so that maybe in the winter you've got that you know sort of double blend of you know you've got the rye still growing and so that in the winter they'll yep. still look nice and green so i think yep. we'll end up going with the, the sort of the two grass policy we may over so the the original um santa rana cooch and then i mean the the rye grass it's it's a fantastic looking surface and that but we, some days we have 290 golfers and so you know, they all walk in the yeah. same spot. So they're very... Um, Doesn't very handle strong. that well yeah. at all. <laughs> and, they, and they do take quite a bit of water, which, you know, at the moment we don't have much of down here in Melbourne. Yeah. So, yeah, um, so yeah I, I, I would yeah, I probably wouldn't put it in again as the, you know, the main um, tea bed. But I think if we oversell it with the cooch, then it's going to be a very good surface. And as you well know, and you've just said then, you know, cooch is such a... Um, repairable it just it's so easy you chuck the sand in it you don't need seed and all that sort of stuff so it, it's um, funny I, because in the mountains we had i don't know what we did at consumer and there were some other teas and some of the other courses around but we certainly did santa and a cooch on our new stuff and we did just that we would oversow with rye fescue uh, yep. for the winter color and this just for it to survive through winter where it was you know going to still have a color to it uh, exactly. But when when you had that stress in summertime, nothing beats the cooch coming over the top and and just being yes. able to survive with it all. Yeah, yeah. And so, it- um, so yeah, from from the old layout, um, we've taken away the the first and the ninth, what used to be the first and the ninth fairway, and that's now become our brand new driving range. And um, they've got top tracer in the in the thirty driving bays uh, there. So it's a, wow. it's a fantastic facility. It's so very well used. There's not too many driving range bays. Um, around here so it's certainly um hopefully will you know become a lot busier than what it already is and you know be able to maintain that as well um so well, you, obviously you, you're smack bang in the middle of you're smack bang in the middle of all the best golf courses in the country and your That's public it. access i mean how much would i imagine it really is going to be an extremely busy course for many reasons not only because it's it's new and people want to experience it but because you've now got this style and feel of elements of next door Royal Melbourne, which not everyone can get into. Why wouldn't anyone want to be jumping over themselves to get into Sandy Links and experience it? Absolutely. And, and, you know, like me, I'm, I'm very privileged that I get to go and play, um, you know, 
pennant golf here in Melbourne, so I get to go and play all the great courses here. And I stand on some of those tees at Sandringham, and you could be standing at a Commonwealth or a Huntingdale or somewhere on the par threes because you just go, look at those bunkers, look at that green complex. And, you know, there's a few little undulations, and then, of course, the beautiful green, uh, the beautiful grass, you know, selection that we've got. It's just amazing. Um, you know, um, so, so we're very, yeah. very privileged. Spectacular, spectacular stuff. I love it. What sort of a team do you have in terms of numbers? What makes up Sandy Links for maintenance wise? Being a, a shorter court, we know that in the past you had three, but obviously yeah. now we're, it's quite different. We've got different expectations, obviously, and and delivering a some product on on the back of of a serious amount of money, no doubt being spent. Let's not beat around the bush here. Uh, you've got to you've got to deliver something at the end of the day. So how, what does it take? Uh, so at, at, at the present time, we have uh, there's three full-timers. So myself, my foreman, Jack Lavery, and Colin, who's a full-timer. And then we have rotating staff from Royal Melbourne. So the, the plan was to uh, be able to let them come over and also experience, obviously, maintaining a public golf course as opposed to a private course. And everything is exactly the same from across the road. So at the moment, um, we have three rotating staff for two weeks come across from Royal Melbourne. So six, six staff in total. Um, eventually, hopefully, boasting that up to um, eight in total. So, you know, maybe wow. at the end of, you know, in another six months or so, um, everywhere at the moment is having um, a hard time getting um, staff. So it's just a sign of the times. Um, so, yeah, eventually eight, um, but at the moment it's just six. And, you know, some days with the amount of golf, like I just said, you know, we've, we average at least 240 to 250 golfers a day. So, you know, you get out, you do your morning jobs, and then sometimes you can't really achieve much during the day. So, um, and that's, at the present that's, time, that's yeah, an astonishing and, amount of golf. Oh, it is, it is, and you know, it's, uh, some days you have 150, and you think, "Oh God, it's slow today." So, um, <laughs> and and it, you're exactly right. You, you hit the nail on the head before, and it was, I think, it was pre most prevalent when we first came out of the lockdowns, and and we here in Melbourne couldn't go more than five kilometres, and so a lot of people couldn't access their own golf courses, and so we were so busy at Sandringham because it was public access, because people wanted to go and look at it, but also too it was the only one available. So um, we've certainly been busy um, pretty much from September last year um, and it's been just constant the whole time since. That's incredible. That's, uh, yeah, just I, I can appreciate because you guys had a serious lockdown. I've spoken to lots of people in different states and Sydney was probably certainly more liberal, I think, in that realm when we had a lockdown that you could still play golf and drive around yes. to your course. But in Melbourne, things were very different and it did keep people within Kuwait of their home. So, you, yeah, I can understand if you, you're living sort of nearby Sandy Links and Royal Melbourne, but you're a member of, you know, further afield. Um, yes. you, you can't drive down to PK, for example, or whatever it might be. Um, yep. That makes it hard. I'm curious to know what makes Sandy Links different to other public access courses. And maybe that's a little bit what we just spoke about, but I, I think of, I don't know a lot of courses in and around Melbourne that are public access. Obviously, we've all heard of the private courses that are, you know, the metros, the Yarrows, the Royal Melbournes. Is is what you've got on the ground now with this redesign, I suppose I'm going to suggestively say, is it a little bit where people, any punter who pays the, the gate fees to get out there and play a game of golf, is it? are you going to experience the likes of what it might be like to play Royal Melbourne across the road? Absolutely, exactly the same as Royal Melbourne. Like our philosophy at Sandy is to keep the greens. You know, we don't want obviously everybody five putting and not being able to hold greens and stuff, but we want that bouncy feel that you'll get at Royal Melbourne. And I think we've certainly achieved that 
so far and it's only going to get better as you fully well know that as turf matures and and you know you grow everything in to where you want it to it certainly does excel itself and I, at the moment, you know, like they're very bouncy. All the punters say, oh, have you put concrete in the seed? Can you make them a bit harder, <laughs> you know, a bit softer? But, you know, you, I, I, I guess I'm a little bit um, a little bit biased because I'll be standing there hand-watering and I see it. And I'm not a very tall person, but it bounces twice as high as me and I go, oh, how good is that? So, um, you know. Some it, might it, say that's Greenkeeper's revenge. Oh, well, uh, they, they probably do. But, you know, I... Again, because I'm a golfer and, and, and I want to present the best thing that I can, I just love it because it is you you need to think about your shot. You know, like I, we were just talking about the layout of the course before and how we took away two two fairways to become the driving range. But it's a course where you don't you can't hit driver off every tee, A, because it's not as long. But if you want to hit driver, you can because you can drive the green or you get in the greenside bunker. That's fine. But for the shot makers too, you know, there's some um, – strategically placed bunkers but if you get the fescue little roll off the the embankments on the fescue or or up onto the green you're never going to be far from the pin and and for me you know when I first started working in in the construction of it and you could sort of see what was happening I was like this is going to be an amazing complex because anybody can come and play you know whether it's a beginner whether it's a woman whether it's a guy who plays off 15 whether it's a guy who plays off scratch we have all the elite high performance guys go out there and I think to date the best um, score is one under. They haven't shot any better than that. Wow. So, um, you know, it's a very much a true test of, I, I think, a little bit of Lynx golf. And in, in the future, and we'll probably talk about a bit, this a bit later, about, you know, clearing out a bit of the tea tree and stuff so you've got a few more vistas. But, you know, it's very much a, a sandbelt feel at the moment. Um, you know, like the, the fairways are beautiful. There's that browning off of the rough and you can stand on the tee and for me, for me and, and my level of golf, if I can stand on a tee and I can say I can hit three or four different clubs, how to play a different, the, the way to play the hole differently, I think that's fantastic. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I, and I think um, the way that you described, you know, the bounce of the greens and, and the way that you can putt from well off the greens onto the putting, sur- onto the, the, the putting surface itself, I think all those elements, are, and this is what's, what's such a, a, an individual key um, celebrated part of the sandbelt in and around Melbourne where all those wonderful golf courses are, that it's, that is the sandbelt. So it's an, it, we're opening people's experience up to, up to taking that in. We're, we're giving them an opportunity to take that in with this, with this newly designed course that's got these wonderful elements in it of Royal Melbourne and the other sandbelt courses that we so famously know. And I think it's just a matter of, of opening up your mind to it playing a different way than what you might be used to. And certainly here in Sydney, we have a lot of golf courses that have Kaikuyu fairways and Kaikuyu surrounds and and soft greens. Um, I think when you go to Melbourne, if you get the chance to play a Sandy Lynx or to go actually play Sandy Lynx, you're going to understand and appreciate the difficulty where we see some of these tournaments that we've had, it might be the President's Cup you know, of 2019, we see that bounce and we're watching some of the best international players in the world Yep. you know, challenge themselves with how do they they land short of the green and let their ball release up towards the green and, and ultimately to where the hole is instead of just target golf and landing on a soft bed of green that might mm. have been watered or it's old soils or whatever. This is a this is a whole new opportunity for the public to experience Melbourne sandbelt golf, isn't it? Oh, it, you, you're on the money. And, and you know, a lot of people would have watched the President's Cup on TV and gone, 
gosh, you know, like even the best players in the world can't, you know, hold these greens and they're struggling. And, you know, so to come to a shortened version of that, um, you know, you said it was a par 65 and, you know, any any punter can come and play. And, and you know, yeah, I, I'm, I, I love it that it's a risk and reward sort of a, a golf course as well. If you're hitting the ball really well and you're striking it cleanly, yeah, you're going to get a little bit of grip on the greens. They're not going to stop dead, but you're certainly not going to, you know, bounce 20 feet high. So if you... If, I, I still think if it's a, you know, a relatively calm day and you're striking the ball well, you'll get around, you know, very comfortably. But then there'll be other days when, you know, you just you, you just can't do anything right. So, and, and that's golf in a nutshell as well. And, you know, like, I, as I said, I love seeing all the different levels of golfers. And we have some regular players that come and, you know, you can have a bit of banter with that. But, um, you know, there's so many people that are either coming to that course for the first time or they're... they're um, you know, not there from interstate and stuff, and they just go, "Oh my God, how good is this complex?" And so, when you hear comments like that, and you know that you're part of that experience, and you're 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 presenting that course to them, you think, "Okay, I'm doing a pretty good job." And you know, as I said before, it'll only keep maturing, and 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 we just, if we can keep our philosophies going and keep, you know, working hard at it, it's just going to be amazing. Another four or five years, and it'll be a, again a totally different course. It it will indeed. Now, Jerry. I'm curious to know, you know the course so intimately, you're a superintendent, you live on the East Course, which is a stone's throw from Sandy. It's it, You know the place upside down, inside out, and you built it, so you know all the humps and bumps and every blade of grass as it's grown. I want to know, do you have a favourite spot on the golf course that's just one of those picture places where you go, this is, for Sandy Links, this epitomises where we are and what we've tried to achieve here. Do you have somewhere that, as a player, when we come to play there, we can experience that as well. Uh, I think, as as the greenkeeper in me, um, there's a, there's a mound on the left hand side of the new fifteenth green, and it's where the old sixteenth green uh, green site was, and it's it's a bit of a rise in 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 the landscape. And you look down over, uh, you know, a couple of the old holes where we cleared a lot of the area um and made and made a couple of brand new holes and it's near our dam and so for me it's kind of like if i sit up there you know if i'm out watching the irrigation or you know the sun setting or if it's a late in the day it's a great spot just to sit and take it all in and just kind of like go oh, you know this is my baby now and this is this is a great spot um as a golfer i think probably um the new double green uh holes five and ten uh they've Ooh, created nice. a, yeah, it's a nice big double green, and that's that's quite a feature now of the golf course. And uh, I remember them as the old eleventh and um, fourth holes. So you know, there's there's a whole bunch of nostalgia whenever I whenever I get out there. And um, but yeah, this this new green, you know, little bunker complex, it's just fascinating. And so that's quite a spectacular new spot on the golf course. That's that's cool, and a double green complex is quite unique. It's not. There are a few of them around the country, but it's uh, it's not commonplace. And and if you know, like you said, it's a new element to the course. And I I, uh, I, I certainly I've seen a couple of photos of it. And I know it it does. It looks spectacular. I think being on a if you're a public access, you don't often get the opportunity to play a double green. So get you get down there to Sandy Links, and you're it's just the the immenseness of a double green. It's just that's not even a word. So I'll just go and say the enormous size. Let's go to that part. Yeah, yep. And so, try hand mowing it. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks. I'll leave that to you and your team, Jerry. <laughs> uh, uh, that's uh, that's great. Always good to know where some unique spots where you just, like you said, you just take it all in. Is there, what's some of the feedback been like from those? This is something I'm curious about because 
a lot of clubs, whether they be semi-privates or privates or public, we, we, we make them our regulars. We become members because we like the golf course and we want to play it more. And, and sometimes it's, it's difficult for golf clubs to press the button to go down the path of a redesign or whatever it may be. What have you heard or what's been some of the feedback from people who played the old Sandringham course and that are now experiencing the new Sandy Links version? How, have, how has that sort of come through? I, th- I think it's been uh, overwhelming, very, very positive feedback. We have two or three social groups, ladies' social groups that play regularly uh, each day of the week. And we have a, a lot, quite a large men's group that comes and plays on a, a Thursday afternoon. And they're all, they love the new layout. And, they, you know, we, and because I've worked there before, we all quite often talk about the old layout, this and that. And they're like, oh, it's so, so much better. We love it. You know, like, you know, that sometimes um, they say, oh, you know, it could have been a little less, um, you know, uh, not not hard, but, you know, it could have been a bit easier, I guess, around the greens and stuff. But they're used to, as you just mentioned before, target golf and things like that. And and I say to them, oh, it's all about your imagination now, you know, like and and not the low markers aren't going to win all the competitions. Every, every punter's got a chance. So, you know, I think they're all certainly getting used to it, but very much and, and from outside the regulars, everyone that's come and played, I think the most, I think the most used word I've heard is everyone's having fun. And so everyone's coming there to experience something different, whether you're there to hone your skills, you know, at the driving range or whether you come there just to have a game of golf. And, and um, they've got this great initiative there. You know, I'm pretty sure it's uh, after four o'clock in the afternoon, children are free. So, you know, you, you quite often see parents and their kids wandering around. They might play two or three holes, um, you know, quite often on a Saturday afternoon. You, there's dads and their kids on the putting green, the public access putting green. And it's just amazing to see that people that, you know, maybe that are coming in, you know, we were talking earlier about employees and, and how you, you know, you guide them in, in their careers. Well, you know, people are coming to experience the facility there at Sandy for the first time and, you know, it might, they might be the next pros. You just never know. Well, you don't. And, and if you've got an initiative like that coming from the club to say, look, after four kids, are free, I mean, honestly, how could you not want to be out there? As, as, and, and I was fortunate I grew up with a golf course over the back fence, a bit like you. Well, I can't claim it was it was the East yeah. Course of RM, but, but anyway, I grew, I grew up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep using that. Did you know Jerry lives on the back? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I was, that was our playground. In effect, if we weren't, you know, riding push bikes in the bush and going for a walk down by the lake or, you know, sliding off, yep. you know, rock edges or whatever it might be, we're out playing golf and having fun. And that's yep. what, as kids, it's, it's, it's endless imagination in shot making and entertainment. And you do things that only kids can think of because of, as an adult, this, the, the reasoning side of your brain comes in and goes, don't try that. That's just silly. You're never going to pull it off. As a kid, you go, that's a 1% chance. I'm just going to see for fun. If I can, you do it, mate, because I'm going to give it a go. And that's, totally. you, you, so they, they, you build in this imagination and, and it's, it becomes fun and you get that fun element as you learn the game, I think, the game of golf. And that's getting kids into it that age and opening the doors. It's not, that's just a great way to get kids involved. And, and the other thing you talked about there was, you know, the difference in the opportunity of different types of shots for your members and the like. I, yeah. I, I think the biggest difficulty, if you give a golfer, options if you give them choice and it's not just telling them to play this shot to this target if you go you've got unlimited opportunities to work your way to the hole all of a sudden a golfer will wig out it becomes the most difficult proposition in front of them when they go 
Do I go that? Well, hang on. You're not telling. If, if you just top and their head explodes. And, <laughs> you know, I, I just think that's why I struggle with this American style and soft courses and narrow corridors of play. You're telling people that there's only one real way to get there and yep. you've just got to execute it. If you open it up and people have choice and it can be limited to even if it's just two, do I cut the corner or do I go around with two shots? All of a yep. sudden... They need to decide, and it falls on them what the outcome is, and That's that be, and it, and it, and you can't blame the golf course, which we often hear people say you can't. It, it was at the end of the day, it comes down to the imagination and the opportunities. And that's the only thing that limits us poor golfers is our imagination, because we've probably all got the ability, but we just don't try it often enough. Absolutely, and we often get too scared by. It. Let's face it, we have handicaps to try oh. and play to. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, look, uh, you know, you touched on it before. Tell us a little bit about what the next sort of maybe 12 months looking forward, how you want to help the course mature and help it improve. Well, in all honesty, I think, um, you know, when you, when you build a new course, you know, like as you said before, you've got all these brand new, you know, whiz-bang things and that. And, and for me, you know, like I think with a small team, winter's going to be, you know, the time that we get to do projects because every other time of the year, I guess you're mowing grass and stuff. So, you know, for me, for this coming winter, I think, you know, clearing out a bit more of the tea tree, I'm, I envisage that maybe, you know, you pick one or two holes a year and you completely clear it out because there's so many great pockets of heathland and, and so many places where you can see a little vista through to the next um, hole or, you know, to the next few holes and stuff like that. So for me, it's going to be, you know, clearing out a bit of the dead wood and, and things like that getting the bunkers, like, you know, we, as golfers, we always say bunkers can always be better. So, you know, just all the finishing touches, I guess, to, you know, some of the bunker edges and, and some of the formation of the waste bunkers, which we've got a few of them now at at, uh, at Sandy Links. But, yeah, I, I think for the next 12 months, it's just, you know, really just honing in on what we can do in the next four to five years. And and I, I speak four to five years because no one ever knows how long you're going to be at one place or, or, or how long your team's going to be around you. So, yeah, I, I think the next twelve months is very exciting. That there'll be a, a few, a few different things here and there, but um, but definitely just yeah, you know, I guess enjoying you know where I'm at now and 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 certainly making the course better. Unbelievable. I I, I couldn't agree more. And just hearing about the, just getting those details right and and like you said, a, a golf course opens up for play because it's time to open. It's ready. People want to get on it. We need to open it. And there are the details as even they just mature for the next few months or six months that you go, right, we need to just tidy that up and that's got to be here and that's got to be there. So you know, yeah. that, that's uh, that's really good to hear that it's there's not a lot of major stuff that needs to happen. All that's been done and all yes. that sort of stuff has already happened. So now it's just in the detail finishing as it, as it uh, just matures those next few steps. It's great talking about Sandy Links and the golf course and I'm probably listening to a lot of the conversation that we've had. I'm going to go to just maybe a couple of philosophical type questions to finish the convo. I hope it's not <laughs> too deep and not too difficult, but I think these things are probably, they've been bouncing around in my head a little bit as we've spoken. I'm curious to know your, we've talked about your path in greenkeeping to this point and, and you just mentioned just then that that thought of you never know what's around the corner you never know what's next for yourself do you have is there an aspiration for jerry as a as a greenkeeper and now as a superintendent for you know do you see yourself you know looking for is there a next step potentially in time and it might be 10 years it might not you know it might be five i hear 
some people say, you know, I really want to be at this level type of golf course. Do you, do you see yourself potentially being overseas or do you have aspirations like that? I, th- I think when you, when you, you know, when you talk about what, what I guess what aspirations you have for yourself, but I can honestly see, and, and, and I've spoken to a few people, I've, uh, you know, I've done a few podcasts and stuff and it, people keep, you know, saying this we're role model and trailblazer and things like that. And, and I, I, I really honestly would like to see myself maybe mentoring as well as, I mean, still being a greenkeeper, still being a superintendent, but mentoring some of the upcoming women that are in, in the industry. And, you know, like you sort of mentioned earlier about the, the superintendents forming a club, but not exactly a club, but, you know, having some support, I guess, and, and, and I guess some guidance as well for all the upcoming women. I'd, I'd love to do something like, you know, whether it's on the side or whether it's a major project, but something like that, certainly I can see myself in the future doing. And, you know, I, I look at a facility like Sandringham and, you know, like somewhere like that, you'd love to run somewhere like that maybe one day, like whether it's, you know, once your body gets a bit older and you want to get off the tools and, you know, like with, with the management experience I've had and I think to myself, well, you know, I know the turf side really well. And so, you know, I, you, they're businesses these days, so you, you could do some business courses. But, you know, there are so many options. And like, you know, as I said, I never thought I'd get to this point where I am now. So I think I don't ever want to say I want to be here or I want to be there because you never know what doors open. But certainly, uh, as I just touched on, something in the mentoring side or the, uh, you know, supportive side of upcoming women, but not just women, but also just young people. Because, yeah, I think that if you've got someone to look up to, and I mean, I've had many great inspirations, my family, my co-workers, you know, Richard, all these people that, you know, I think, I don't know, I, I just love giving back to people as well. So I, that, that side of me says, yes, definitely maybe something down the track in that. There you go. What a wonderful answer. Absolutely incredible. And I've got no doubt speaking to you and hearing your story, as I'm sure everyone listening has now got an idea of who Jerry is, that that it's sort of there already. I think you're probably already halfway there without even realising it, to be honest, and, and yeah. you'll probably no doubt have that opportunity to come. And, and look, I, I, that probably does lead me into the next question a little bit, and I didn't want to focus heavily on, I, I, like I said to you before, it's not about um, hearing your story. It doesn't. It's not about, you know, you're a woman in the industry and this is what, you you know, you're seen as or whatever. I don't, I don't really see it like that. That's just me personally speaking. I see you as just a... A hardworking person in the greenkeeping industry, and you do it so bloody well. And I, 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 um, I'm curious because when I was super at Katoomba, and I can speak about my own experience, we put on a, a, a female uh, apprentice at the time. We had a couple of people apply, and it, like I said before, it's a small area to draw for for employment. There's not a lot of people around, and the and the younger people is even less of for job opportunities. And we had a woman apply um for our apprenticeship and you know what she was so compelling in her interview and and what she was going to bring to the job and what she wanted to learn and we ended up employing her as an apprentice and I thought wow this is turning a corner for us I never thought the day would come but we'd have a a woman part of the team this is a great opportunity for us as a club the the sad part was for Renee that we lost her to a different industry because we couldn't afford to keep her she was yes. given an, an opportunity, if you like. There was a, it was nearly paying double, and and I just <laughs> could. I what could I what could I do as, as a as a as a superintendent? What could the club do to yep. to combat something like that? So ultimately, Renee left 
she was with us for I think nearly six months or something. And then she said, look, sorry, um, I've got this chance and, and uh, yeah. they're paying me this. And I'm like, wow. Well, um, yep. I don't know where to I don't know where to go from there. I, I suppose what I'm I'm wondering, and that's my only little taste in having a, a a woman as part of the team. In your opinion, this is that philosophical side. Sort of, is there anything that you think that that golf and the greenkeeping industry can do to sort of get, make greenkeeping more appealing to women for work? I mean, is it something that is it's just not talked about that much. We know that there's some amazing junior female golfers around that they will grow up in it, but they'll obviously go to different parts of work. We know there's people like yourself and me, for example, that come from golf that got into greenkeeping in a way. Yep. Is, how do we make it, and, and maybe it's bigger than just this, this short conversation, but what sort of places do we try and expose greenkeeping to girls, young girls, and, and to women to say, hey, this is a great career choice. This is a great opportunity for it's a lifestyle choice. It can take you anywhere on, on the earth, as we just mentioned before. How do we expose them to that and give greenkeeping that option to them to choose for work? But I think you, you listening to your story as well, you know, it's always hard to compete against you know, the money side of things, because I think greenkeeping is such a passion and, and you really, you want to get into it because it's something that you think you'll love. And, and people quite often ask me the same question that you've just asked me. And, and, you know, like I think about offering scholarships and all this sort of thing. And then personally, you know, like you, you don't want to alienate and, and just, you know, exemplify that it's just a woman's scholarship. So I think a lot of the time too, it is just, actually getting, I suppose, people like myself and, and any other women in, like, even the, the general manager, there's a there's a, lay, um, a woman at Eleanora Golf Club, Kathy Nagel, and, like, I've spoken to her just about, you know, golf in general. And I think it's just about getting the word out there that you just have to go and experience it because, you know, hard, you know, hard slog to get into it and it is a physical job. But nowadays, you know, like, it, you're part of a profession. Nothing in... In, in, in the actual physical side of things that you can't do yourself. So I think it's just getting the word out there that it is a it is a passion. It's not just a job. It's just it's part of, it becomes part of your life. And I guess you're right. If, if, if people like myself and, and other leaders in the industry and, and especially women just, um, you know, I guess promote it and I, the apprentices that I know and, and the young ladies that are going through greenkeeping, you know, they're all just like me. They wanted to have a go and they, and they just got in and did it and, and um, I think, you know, local golf clubs and probably people that play golf because, it, you know, it can be quite a flexible um, pathway. You know, if you want to play golf, we do, we're very busy, you know, six months of the year in the summer and then in the winter we're not quite as busy. So, you know, there's all these opportunities for people to maybe have a flexible career and, and, and maybe, you know, it's something they really want to do. And, and I think people just need to experience it. I, uh, I think that's a, that's a great what you're just saying there is probably the best way to just open up that conversation and get that bit of experience out there and, and get people, you know, to, to talk about it more and hear about it. And what you said is, um, you know, there's opportunities to do so with people like yourself, as you mentioned, with a bit of mentoring in the future, whatever that may hold mm -hmm. that you could be part of and opportunities may arise. And I, I think, I think it could be a corner of the industry, the greenkeeping industry, personally, me talking about it is, I think it's something that we're going to see grow. I think there's an opportunity there because we know the other part is we're short on labour. 
every yes. every person in the industry you talk to, we're short on labour. So I think we're going to see to see a little bit of a turn here, and I think this is probably going to be the beginning because that you know if you if you I won't say alienate that's a bit of a harsh word, but if you're not looking mm. at fifty percent of the workforce, you know because it might be your old mentality or whatever it might be. If if yeah. you're cutting out fifty percent of the workforce, yet you're screaming that we've got no one applying for jobs, I think you probably need to have a good long hard look in the mirror, maybe. But I, I just exactly. I think there's an opportunity there personally, and I I look forward to seeing it grow. And um, yeah. yeah, I think I think it's a, a way forward for the industry. Jerry, look, it's been absolutely fantastic. It's been a wonderful pleasure and a privilege to have you on the podcast and the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast as a superintendent to be keeper of the greens. I thank you very much for your time. It's been enthralling and, and fascinating to chat to you about your story and how you came to, to be superintendent and also about the wonderful new Sandy links that, that anyone can go and experience. And I think it's been a wonderful insight to those, um, those two fields and, uh, and your life as well. So I appreciate your openness. I appreciate your honesty and I appreciate you, you telling us everything that's, um, that you've come across in your career and all about Sandy links as well. Oh, thank, thanks, Stephen. I'm just absolutely, you know, it's a bit of pleasure for, to have this opportunity to speak with you and you're very welcome anytime to come in the uh, backyard here and have a beer with me and we'll peruse the uh, golf course and then I can take you for a tour at Sandy Links. So. Wonderful stuff. Thank you very much, Jerry, and I appreciate your time and uh, look forward to catching up one day soon. Take care. Thank you. Wow. Just wow. How cool is Jerry O'Callaghan? That was so much fun. We could have we could have spoken for a long time, as you could probably tell, about all sorts of things to do with her career, to do with golf, to do with green keeping, to do with Sandy Links, right? It doesn't matter. We could have just spoken for a long time. I think you get a real sense of just how in depth a person Jerry is, how great an operator she is, how well respected she is. Her experience getting to where she is at Sandy Links, taking the helm, taking over at the helm of Sandy Links. I mean, what a future that place has. What a future Jerry has. And on the back of that conversation, I look forward, and I did mention there at the end, I look forward to seeing the industry of greenkeeping get more women involved and, and start to see them out there working on golf courses and, and being part of the maintenance team. And I don't see a reason why not. And uh, I really think that that's something that we'll see before too long. We're going to see those numbers increase. But uh, look, Jerry's just a fantastic person. I didn't know Jerry before I called her and asked her to to join in the podcast. I I'd uh, heard throughout the industry that that she'd taken over the role as superintendent of Sandy Links, and that was it. I just needed to speak to Jerry, and she's mentioned that she was been on some other podcasts and. There's an article written about her in Turfgrass Magazine, which is an Australian greenkeeping industry magazine uh, about her history and so on. Um, but I just, when I'd, I'd heard about this position, I just needed to talk to Jerry and to hear her story. And look, I hope you really were entertained by it. I hope it was really insightful for you and uh, and you got something to take away, least of all an insight into one of the, the best female greenkeepers we have in the country and certainly Sandy Links as well. So... Um, guys, look, thank you very much for listening and taking the time out. Please like, share, subscribe. P please 
pass this one around because the more people that hear about Jerry's story and the more people that hear about Sandy Links and what its future is going to 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 come to, I think is going to be a very big positive for the industry on, on both of those fronts. And I really uh, would implore you to do so. So please help me out in, in sharing this one around and getting it out there to the wider golf audience. I think most people are going to be interested and intrigued by Jerry's story. So please like, share, subscribe. And also, please, like I say, please don't forget to leave a review. I would really appreciate that one as well. Feel free to comment. Feel free to DM me, message, whatever you like. Happy to chat as always and happy to talk. And uh, like I say, I appreciate you taking the time out to listen. Thank you once again to Australian Turf Analysis for helping me and for partnering with my podcast to bring to you more of these stories of Keeper of the Green. So don't forget to get in touch with John Legg at Australian Turf Analysis, www.australianturfanalysis.com. As always, guys, you hit them clean. We'll keep them green. You have yourselves a great week, and I look forward to catching up with you next Thursday. 